We are in the sixth week, the final week of this sermon series, 365 and 1, Where's the Urgency? And we've been um, coaching you and encouraging you to pick up a bookmark. They look like this. Um, They're available on your way out if you don't have one. As you know, there's a place to put the name of your one. That's the one in 365 and 1. The person you're praying for and witnessing to and um, praying about uh, that they might come to Christ. Uh, On the back, it's been very helpful for me how to to specifically pray for them Monday through uh, Sunday. So take uh, advantage of those. Stickers too, we have stickers made. Uh, Pick one up, same logo. Um, Don't put it somewhere it's not supposed to be. but maybe on your, your water, uh, your, 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 your cup, some of those have those coffee cups, or somewhere where it'll remind you to pray for, for your one. Uh, we've been through a good six weeks. Uh, pa- uh, week number one, Pastor Zardi introduced the series and spoke about uh, the idea of being contagious Christians and the idea of urgency. Then week number two, I preached about being salt and light, the idea that salt makes things thirsty, makes people thirsty, and they ought to see our lives. People should see our lives. They should be thirsty for what we have, and, and also that we act as a moral preservative. God placed his church on earth for many reasons, including the idea that we would be a moral preservative. We talked about light being illuminating and, and exposing, too. Week number three, we introduced the formula, high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. And pastors already preached about having a compassionate heart and a genuine interest, and being alert to a person's need. Then week four, I I preached about close proximity, physically being close with the people we care about, and how hard that's been through, through COVID, and how Jesus and his disciples were physically close with people, and even invited sinners, and and frankly, the worst of society to be a part of their circle. And last week, pastors already preached about clear communication, that we ought to establish a common ground, and we ought to speak with confidence, and we ought to connect our one to Christ through clear communication. And so here we are at week number six, the last week of our sermon series, and I want to talk about maximum impact, using everything we've talked about to really make the most out of these opportunities to witness to our friends and our neighbors. Our text comes from the New Testament account according to the book of Romans. Um, Laura read a part of it. Let me read to you the entire text that I'd like to speak to uh, you from this morning. Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die, will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's come together in prayer. Father in heaven, as we enter this final week of this series on sharing the good news, I ask that you would let us see people as you see them. Give us hearts of compassion, the same heart that Jesus had when he looked over the shepherdless crowds. We ask you to open doors and give us opportunities to share the good news. We ask that you give us boldness to proclaim the good news and that we would see conversions. We would see people respond to your love and come into your family through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and together we all say, Amen. Here's where I want to start a, a real reminder of the basics of Christianity to make a maximum impact on the person you're talking to. Remind them that at the heart of salvation, it's what Jesus has done for us. A lot of us who are Christians have known this. It's important to be reminded it has absolutely nothing to do with what you do, who you are, or any meritorious works you think you've accomplished. 
And you'll have a maximum impact on your friends when you tell them that. It has nothing to do with you. You don't need to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. That's his job. He's the cleaner. Romans 5, 8 that we just read. God shows or demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's all because of Jesus. I wrote down the lyrics to the second song we sang because it's perfect. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. What's the reference to the bones singing? Where does that come from? Anybody? Ezekiel, the prophet. God tells Ezekiel to go preach to a field of dead bones. They're dead. They can't do anything to help themselves. He does, and they come alive. It's a perfect allusion to the New Testament idea of dead people coming alive, that Jesus is the one who makes us alive. The salvation that we have is from Christ alone. I had a conversation with someone who said, you know, I'm a Christian and I appreciate it, but I have to tell you, my motives for, for coming to Christ were not perfect. And I said, welcome to the club, mine too. What that person was saying is that Jesus' complete work on the cross, plus good motivation for coming to him, is what gets me in the kingdom. No, what we bring to Christ is our sin. What we bring to Christ is our helplessness. What we bring to the whole thing is desperation. The heart of salvation is what Jesus has done for us. Let's be reminded again of what God's standards are, that he demands perfection all the time. Anyone who ever fails anytime is out, and that is a result of the law. Because of the law, because of God's standard, because of our sin, we're separated from God. So when you're sharing with your one, tell them this, but then also share the good news of the gospel, which is a response to this terrible news. And there's many ways to say it, but I have, I think, a pretty articulate and clear way printed out in your worship folder, written by a pastor from the Bible named Tim Keller, and he says this, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, he fully, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment, from sin, into fellowship with him, and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. This is it. It'll be a maximum impact when you show your, your one this that has nothing to do with you. Christ fully accomplishes entrance into his family through what he has done. There's nothing more moving, perhaps, than the idea of someone laying down their life for another. We see it in movies. We're moved to tears. We read it in books. Wow, that person laid their life down for somebody. How maximum will the impact be when you share with your one that not only has someone laid their life down for them, died in their place, but it actually was God. <laughs> God showed up on Christmas as a baby, a human, and he grew up and did amazing things, but most importantly, he died in your place because you owe God the Father payment for your sin, but Jesus switched out with you. It's a substitution. And he died in your place and gives you his righteousness as a free gift, and three days later, he's alive again. Maximum impact. Number two, be reminded that it's a privilege to share the good news. It's a privilege. We are invited into this great walk with God. And we'll un unpack this here in just a bit. A lot of talk these days about privilege, who was born into privilege, who's not born into privilege. I'm not here to talk about that today. I'm here to talk about being invited into privilege, being welcomed into a holy family that we really have no right to be in. But what a privilege it is. We are royalty because of what Christ has done for us. The Apostle Paul understood this perfectly, and he tells us in Philippians 3, in the eighth uh, verse from the Amplified Translation, he says, I count everything as loss compared to the what? Priceless privilege and supreme advantage 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Same verse, different translation, helps me understand it a little bit better. I consider everything a loss in comparison with the superior value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We will be of maximum impact when we see our opportunity to share the good news as a privilege and not pressure. We see it as pressure because I've got to have the message perfect. I've got to share my testimony perfectly. If they ask hard questions, I've got to have the perfect answer, and that's pressure. And we move from pressure to privilege when we realize it doesn't have to be on the perfection of our message. It all relies on the perfection of our Savior. It's his finished work that brings people into the kingdom, not our perfect oration or the skill of the communicator or having it all thought out. The pastors already did a great job last week of coaching and teaching us. We, we ought to have our thoughts together. And when someone asks us and we share, you know, how the conversation's going to go, but don't be so caught up in perfection that you don't do it because the only perfection we rely on is the perfection of Jesus, our Savior. Even the Apostle Paul knew that as great as an orator as he was, as brilliant of a thinker as he was, none of it relied on his own ability. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with what? A demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's all by God's power. So that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. It counts nothing that you might be a great speaker, a great communicator. God will use that for sure. But don't feel pressured to get, get it perfect. The only perfection that we need is the perfection of Christ in our lives. So number three, here's where I want to spend a little bit of time. Where's the urgency? This is the tagline to the title of our sermon series, 365 and 1, comma, where's the urgency, question mark. And Pastor Zardi did a great job, week number one, introducing this, <coughs> that there is a real urgency. But I want to bookend the sermon series by really stressing it at the beginning and, and really talking about it a little bit here at the end. And here's where we go with this. The Bible is clear that those who die apart from Christ will spend eternity in hell. The Bible talks about it lots of different places. We'll highlight one right here. Jesus in Matthew 25 is talking about when he comes a second time. He says, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, depart, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Urgency. Hell is real. We know that Jesus is coming to separate the sheep from the goats. And it's our job to tell people. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what does it take? How can I be one of your people? And Jesus says, whoever believes in him, Jesus Christ, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is the law. This is what we talked about earlier. This is the punishment for sin that uh, mankind, humanity faces. But there's always the gospel. And be ready to share the good news that this doesn't have to be you. It's free. Walk into God's kingdom through Christ's finished work. And secondly, under this heading of where's the urgency is, we don't know how long we have. Isn't it great that we just assume I'll be alive at 4.05 to see kickoff? (laughs) Maybe I won't. I'm making plans for next week. I've got good plans for next Friday. I'm just assuming I'll be here. Or how about 2022, man? I can't wait for 22. That'll be the year that COVID is finally all gone and everything will be normal. Won't it be great? Except why do we just assume that we'll still be alive? I mean, these are dark thoughts, right? But they're clear from the Bible and they speak to this urgency. James says in the fourth chapter, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. He says, why, you you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. I don't know much about art, so when I talk about art, I don't mean to stand up here and represent well, but I was reading some stuff, and apparently in the Art Institute of Chicago is a piece of wood carving by a German guy named Hans Bergmeier the Elder. It's from about 1500, right before Martin Luther's time, right? And it's called Lovers Surprised by Death. I don't know if you can see it very well, but in the lower left-hand corner is a man who's knocked down by this skull-headed figure who's death. And there's the lover who's appalled. Of course, of course hor- death is horrible. Of course. But apparently, this was carved at a time in Germany when the intellectuals and the philo- philosoph- philosophers were over- overtaken. They-, they somehow just finally came to realize, oh my goodness, death can happen at any time. You're no kidding. Like, how, how did this just like, st- strike them and come upon them at that time? It can, and it's happened to some of you, and you've been so surprised, and my heart aches for you, and I'm so sorry. But therein lies the urgency. We only have so long and none of us really know. And not only knowing how long it'll be till Jesus comes again, but the idea that, uh, or die, but rather that when Jesus will come again. He says, uh, but about the day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father in heaven. Our urgency comes from the fact that we don't know how long we have and we don't know when it, when it will be that, that Jesus comes again. So now the good stuff. Be reminded that this all begins with love. You will have a maximum impact with your one. When you share the law, you need Jesus because you're a sinner. But I love you and he loves you and paid the price for you. It all begins with love. We have a maximum impact with the one that we're talking about, thinking, uh, thinking about praying for when it comes from love. First John 4, 7 through 11, my dear friends, let us... Love one another for what love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And, and this is how he showed his love among us. And share this with your one. He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This overwhelming love, this enormous, and in a positive way, crushing love, when it's pressed on you, you 
you've perhaps had these experiences. How, how does a man describe God's love? And knees tremble, voices quake. There's weeping. It's, um, it's holy, it's other than what we experience. And that ought to be what motivates us, this enormous, beautiful, epic love that crushes down on us through the work of Jesus Christ. And when you are filled with that love from God, you can't help but love others, and let that be your motivation. Have the most impact in your witness, being motivated by love. The hymn writer John Kent wrote in the 1700s, Oh, such love my soul still ponder, love so great, so rich and free. Say while lost in holy wonder, why, O oh Lord, such love for me? The hymn writer's wondering, why do you love me this way, God? And then his resolution at the end of the verse, hallelujah, grace shall reign eternally, that it's God's grace that we don't deserve any of this, and that's the nature of holy love, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, we deserve none of it. And let that epic love that crushes down on you and fills you and motivates you be your motivation when you speak to and pray for your one. That will give you the ability to, to have the most maximum impact. Resting on the love that God has for us and not necessarily the love that we have for him. Resting on... Christ's perfect obedience and not the fact that we sometimes get it right but oftentimes we get it wrong. Concentrating on Christ's faithfulness to hold on to us and not our faithfulness that somehow we're holding on to God. Concentrating on the strength that we have in Christ, not our own strength. And finally this morning, do it together. We talk about this a lot. Community, live your life with your one. We talked about it in this idea of close proximity. It's hard with COVID, right? Be creative. Find ways to live your life with your one. Boy, will that have a maximum impact? First John 1, 7th verse, but if we walk in the light, if we walk with Christ as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship, one with another. We're together. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We talk about a name from time to time up here, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous German theologian, World War II era, and we talk about his, his heroics in the Second World War and how he stood for righteousness and made a stand. A theologian, book writer, he wrote another book that has nothing to do with his World War II heroics called Life Together. And four points from, from his book, and, and a lot of these will be obvious to us um, here in, in the American church in 2021. I don't have space for you on your outline, but if you're following along, maybe jot them down on the, on the back quickly. He says both individual and communal spiritual growth are what we need, both in your al alone time, time in the word, time in meditation, time in prayer, you and God together by yourself, but also communal, also together, do life together. We are called to be a community. And then he reminds his 1930s and 1940s German church that, Serving others is a form of ministry. We do a good job of talking about that here at Royal Redeemer, so that might not be that much of a, duh, no kidding. But maybe for the church in that time, it was more formal, where you came to church for an hour on Sunday and that was your Jesus time and the rest, you were just baking bread and taking care of the kids. He says, no, serving others is a form of ministry. It's just not the guys at the front of the church that are on the payroll. All of us serving others is ministry. And then he, he talks about being thankful for Christian community how great to be a part of this vibrant, Holy Spirit-filled church called Royal Redeemer, based on the word, humble for the most part, confessing that we don't get it right all the time, but we walk with Christ and allow him to enable us. How, how thankful are you for that? How thankful are you to be an American where this is free? Not everyone gets to do this. Some people are literally dying because they're Jesus followers. 
And finally, under this heading of doing life together, integrate your faith into your everyday life. Again, we do a good job of communicating that here at Royal Redeemer, so maybe it's like a not, the light's not going on. But maybe for Bonhoeffer and his church, they had to be reminded that it wasn't for an hour on Sunday mornings. It was everything. All that you are is your Christian witness, is your Christian expression. Do life together. One more reminder on this from Jesus, from Matthew 18, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So I want to wrap up this sermon series kind of where we started with a reminder that Christ is real. Christ is real. He is love. And our desperate and hungry and hurting world need his grace and forgiveness. And it really is as simple as, uh, simple as feeding God's grace. Feed them God's grace. It's nothing that we generate or is within us, but simply feed them God's grace and his love. Let your witness be of high maximum impact as you love one another. Some next steps to think about. These are at the bottom of your worship folder to think about and pray about this week. Remind yourself that sharing the gospel is a privilege. Pressure's off. Be prepared. Think about how that's going to go. But if you mess up, man, it's not, it's not on account of you being a good communicator. It's a, on account of all that Christ has done. Number two, allow God's love in you to be the one that motivates your urgency. God's love. And number three, spend time doing life together with your one, as much as you can. COVID makes it hard right now, right? But find ways to do that. I want to end a little bit differently. Would you stand to your feet? Um, we'll read together some scripture from 2 Corinthians 2. Let's call this like our sending verse, right? We're at the end of a sermon series. So here's our beautiful motivation from God's word to send us out to speak clearly to our one and love them. This is from 2 Corinthians 2. This is the, a message translation. Would you please um, read these? And let's, let's confess these words together. Read these with me. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. People breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation, an aroma redolent with life. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. This is a terrific responsibility. Is anyone competent to take it on? No, but at least we don't take God's word, water it down, and then take it to the streets to sell it cheap. We stand in Christ's presence when we speak. God looks us in the face. We get what we say straight from God, and say it as honestly as we can. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've called believers to go into the world and make disciples of every nation. And I would ask that you would give me, give us courage and boldness to share your truth and your gospel to those around us, especially to our ones. I pray that you place in my, uh, that you place in my path those who you want me to love, to witness to, to share your truth with them and to love them Thank you for this privilege, we pray, and together we all say, amen. You may be seated.